Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's edition of What Did I Just Hear, a follow-along podcast for Trinity UMC's CrossConnect service. Before we can discuss what we heard from the sermon, first we have to hear the sermon. If you have already listened to this week's sermon, please feel free to skip ahead. Otherwise, please enjoy this clip from this Sunday's morning service. So y'all, this is our fourth week in, uh, in the story we've been walking through. And for those who this might be your first time, we have a uh, scripture, it's the Bible, put together in a unique way. It's set up in novel format uh, where you're reading 31 chapters instead of your kind of traditional books and verses, even though those are incorporated into this. You just can't see unless you go to the back what part you're reading. Uh, we have in the first three chapters, gone through the book of Genesis. And there's a whole lot of stuff in that book. And so we have covered it over these three chapters. And now we are moving into the book of Exodus with chapter four. Uh, This chapter is called Deliverance. And um, we have... uh, We've seen Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments, perhaps, uh, the cartoon Prince of Egypt. Um, Even if we haven't read the scriptures to know this story, uh, there are a lot of cultural connections. But just just to kind of get us situated into uh, this chapter, um, it starts off with an awareness that the people of Israel, God's people, are still in Egypt. They, um, from, from last week, If you heard that message or read the the chapter, you remember that uh, Joseph, who's part of Abraham, Isaac, um, and Jacob's family, Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, uh, through a crazy course of events, uh, ended up in Egypt and was there at a prime time, was there when uh, the the family and and the people, the surrounding nations were in a time of famine. And so uh, Joseph, through God's help, was able to prepare them so that they had enough resources to last them through that famine. So here when we get to the book of Exodus, we fast forward 400-ish years. um, And what we hear at the beginning of the story is that um, this was a time that all the people in Egypt had kind of forgotten Joseph and had forgotten what Joseph and his family had done to save the people of Egypt. And so now there's a new Pharaoh who doesn't care, doesn't remember about Joseph and and all these people, uh, the Israelite people who are around. And instead of seeing them as a blessing from the past, sees them as a threat for the present, a threat for the future. And so this chapter starts off with that threat. And with Pharaoh making the choice to enslave the Hebrew people. uh, Taking them from just being people among the community and all of a sudden taking control over them and and forcing them into slavery. Uh, So from the get-go, we know that this is a hard story. This is a powerful story. Um, This is a, a story of continued struggle. And not just for a person but for an entire nation. As the struggle continues, Pharaoh, um, God continues to bless the people even as they are enslaved. And so uh, Pharaoh tries to get further control and further squash this threat among them. And so he, he puts out um, an edict and says, every Hebrew son that is born 
uh, needs to be thrown in the Nile to die. And this is pretty, again, pretty powerful, pretty painful words for us to hear. And so we know that this story is going to have a big impact to know that this is how it's beginning. As the story continues, we focus in on one family, one particular family, a mother named Jochebed, who uh, has a child and she just can't do it. She knows it's what she's been told to do, but she hides her son so that he can't be found until she can't hide him anymore. And she takes this baby and she wraps him up and puts him in this basket And she prays him into the Nile, asking that the Lord will take care of him. And his sister, she sends his sister, Miriam, to walk down and follow him down the Nile to see what happens. And as the baby floats, the Pharaoh's daughter is coming out to the water. And she sees the basket, opens it up, and sees that there's a baby inside. And she instantly knows She instantly knows this is one of those Hebrew babies. And she felt compassion. And so what Pharaoh's daughter does is she takes this baby up and she says, this baby will be my baby. I will raise him as my son. The Pharaoh's daughter takes a Hebrew baby and raises him as her son. One who is supposed to be dead, she takes him. And he grows up, and you know, the scriptures don't tell us a whole lot. We don't know, like, did Pharaoh treat him like a grandfather treats a grandchild? I mean, you know, did did Moses run around and crawl up in Pharaoh's lap? And did they play catch together? Did they have conversations about the good old days? We don't know. But what we do know is that Moses grew up in the Pharaoh's family grew up in the Pharaoh's house, grew up as an Egyptian. Throughout the course of his life, maybe he knew it from the beginning, maybe he knew it later on. Again, a detail we're not told. Um, Moses finds out that he's an Egyptian. And so he goes, I mean, he finds out that he's a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. And so he goes out and he's looking out over the, the reality of how Egyptians and Hebrews are relating to one another. And he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew and, and it just inflames him. And, and he gets so mad that he goes and he kills this Egyptian to stop him from mistreating his fellow Hebrew. The next day comes and and he finds out somebody saw what he did and he gets scared. I mean, terrified. So much so that he flees. He runs out to the country of Midian and decides, I'm going to leave because I don't want to. I mean, I know know what Pharaoh is capable of and I don't want to be at that hand. And so he flees to be a shepherd uh, in Midian for 40 years, taking care of sheep and whatever. And then one day when he's out there taking care of the sheep, all of a sudden he looks up and there's this bush that's on fire. I mean, just flames everywhere. But he, he looks at it a little bit further and he's like, that, there's no smoke. It's not burning up. What is going on? And he walks over there and realizes in the process that, that the Lord God Almighty has come to talk. To Moses in that burning bush. 
And the scripture we're going to focus in on today is that part of that conversation. Uh, We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Or if you're reading along in the story, this is on page 46. So again, Exodus chapter 3 or page 46. So again, here we are, Moses at the burning bush. God is talking to him. He's already taken off his shoes to be on holy ground. And, And this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So Moses, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses, the Hebrew boy who grew up in Pharaoh's household, who has run away in fear because he killed an Egyptian, now God is calling him to go back and to free his people, to free the Hebrew people. What we see in this story, are two, I mean, a whole bunch of things, but the two that we're going to focus in on today, and at the first one, is that this, this is a story. This is a moment in our history with God where we see that God hears the cries. God hears our prayer that when we are suffering, when we are struggling, when the world around us is suffering and struggling, God hears these things. God knows them. Every tear that we cry, every groan that is lifted, when we are walking through times of struggle and times of injustice and times of hardship, God sees it. God knows it. God is aware of it. And God says, I will respond to it. I will show up in it. I will help. I will deliver. I will rescue. I will save. I will be there. This is powerful. This is a powerful promise from the God of the whole universe who has made the creepingest, crawlingest thing to the vastness of the universe keeping everything in orbit and all that stuff, that this God, this mighty, powerful, awesome God hears us and is willing to show up and help us. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful 
story. So much so that this is the central story of the Jewish faith. The Christian faith, our central story is Jesus. But the backup story, the story underneath Jesus is this story. That we have a God who saves. We have a God who delivers. We have a God who rescues and who hears us, who cares, who knows about us. But what we also see is that in the middle of this, it's such a powerful shift in that conversation. Uh, God shows up to Moses and I've seen this. I've heard the cries of my people. So Moses, now you go. God says, I'm going to rescue. I'm going to deliver. So Moses, go. Do you see what God is doing here? Do you hear what's happening in that conversation? What God is showing us is that when God saves, when God delivers, when God acts, when God shows up in the midst of our suffering and our struggles and our hardships, God does it in partnership with us. Every single day, there are cries being lifted. Every single moment, every single second, cries are being lifted. Prayers are being raised. Injustice and suffering is happening. And every single minute and every single day, God is saying, yes, I will respond. Yes, I will be there. Yes, I will help. And every single moment of every single day of every single situation, God is calling out to us and saying, go, go. And be there. Help me. Work with me. Save people. Deliver people. Rescue people. Care for people with me. Sometimes I question God's choices to use us, to use me. And all my brokenness and all my shortcomings and all my not worthy. And yet that is what God does again and again and again. There is a calling that God places on each and every one of us to join together with him in the work that he is doing to save his people, to hear his cries and to relieve the struggle that is among us. I I um, am not surprised at Moses' response at all. When, when God says, now, now go, I'm going to do all this, now you go. I'm sending you, Moses. And Moses says, oh, oh, who, who am I? What am I going to do? Like, you're talking about Pharaoh of Egypt. This is like the biggest power in the world, and you're calling me to do what? I, I can't. It's too much. And God, God's response to that in the middle of that is you're not going alone. You don't have to do this on your power, on your ability. God says, I will be with you. We do this together. I do it with you and you do it with me. We walk through and we, we do the work of God together. And the thing is, there is no accident that God called 
Moses to do this? Who else has a story like Moses? Moses, a Hebrew baby thrown in the river, found by none other than Pharaoh's daughter, grows up in the Pharaoh's household. His experiences, the things that that he learned, the things that he saw, the things that he walked through, the things that he knew, all of those things prepared him for the moment where God would say, go, Moses, go. And the truth is, the reality is you. Every single ear that is hearing this, you You have lived and you have walked and you have learned and you have experienced things in your life that have prepared you to do exactly what God is calling you to do. And there is no one who can do it in the way that you can because no one has walked the journey that you have walked. No one is prepared in exactly the same way as you are to say yes to that moment, to go. And there are plenty of places where God is calling all of us to go. There is something for every single one of us to do. When we started Cross Connect, everybody got a piece of the puzzle, right? Because it's the whole picture. And you have been prepared to do your particular part of the greater suffering that is in the world. And, you know, Moses, he was called to do something really big. Something that, you know, Hollywood makes movies about and we have written down and there's been all kinds of stuff, you know. And so some of you might be thinking, I mean, who am I? Nobody's going to call me to do something that big. In the eyes of the world, maybe it won't be that big. But what God is calling you to do, which may seem small, where you hear God stirring, where where you, you hear a cry, you hear an injustice, you hear a struggle in the world, and your heart stirs in a way that it doesn't normally stir. Where you feel the pull in a way that you don't normally feel. God may not show up in a burning bush, but he stirs. He stirs. Those are the places that God is calling you, you to go. You to deliver. You to help. To partner with God and to make a difference in the lives of others. As the story continues, I mean, y'all, we get... There's like layers of 10 plagues, you know. I mean, like we get the, the Nile turns to blood. There's gnats and flies and frogs and there's boils and hail and all kinds of crazy stuff that happens layer after layer. The journey through this deliverance is not an easy one. And it's not a quick one either. It's one that takes time and it takes patience and it takes endurance through the challenge. It's also one that takes God's movement in the middle of it. Moses was the servant. Moses was the vessel. And God was moving and making, at times, miraculous things happen. But the two of them together, 
Moses saying yes and God's power being present, the two of them together made deliverance possible. And not just the first time where they got to leave and go out of Egypt, but also when Pharaoh decided, "Ah, they're gone and I don't really want them to be. And so he sends the army after them and they get smushed in between the, uh, the Red Sea and Egypt's army and nowhere to go. And even in that moment, Moses and God work together to make the impossible possible where the seas are parted and they're able to walk through on dry land and God delivers them with Moses' help. Y'all, there are injustices all around us. There are situations and people that are walking through stuff that we, we really can't even fathom. At least I can't. Um, today, like I said, is World Communion Sunday. It's a day that around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ from... Mozambique to Michigan, from Indonesia to Indiana. We are all gathering together at the table to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, who God is. This is a God who who is willing to save us, who is present to deliver us, and will go to the full lengths of death on a cross to do so. But it's also a table where we are reminded that this gift that is a gift to us, it is also a calling. It makes us the body of Christ to be active at work in the world around us. And today, as we come to the table to receive this gift, you're going to be invited to also come today opening your ears a little wider. opening your heart a little more deeply to hear the cries of our brothers and sisters around the world. Some are Christian, some are not, but the cries, it doesn't matter. God hears them all. But, but to hear those cries, some of our brothers and sisters are, are gathering around a communion table knowing that any moment someone could bust in the house and arrest them Because being a Christian is illegal. Some of our brothers and sisters are gathering around the table to receive the gift of grace today in a war-torn country. Some of our brothers and sisters are gathering around the table today and they are experiencing slavery in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's human trafficking or something. But they, they are gathering today living in realities that it's hard for us to wrap our head around. And God is asking us to hear their cries. So as you come uh, for communion today, there are some cards on the table um, that highlight some of the cries that we know are happening. Uh, There's information about housing insecurity, climate change, food insecurity, racial injustice, 
Um, there's a prayer and some information, and there's a, a website to help you learn more. There are ways for you to do some hands-on efforts, uh, resource cards for you. Um, and our prayer is that you will take one of those and let that be a way that God helps you hear what you need to hear. The cries of our brothers and sisters. That as the body of Christ, we cannot be deaf to. Now that you've listened to the sermon, let's dive into this week's episode. We're going to start with a quick summary and then jump into some questions that you may have. Uh, So up first, we've got my favorite segment, the 60-second sermon summary. Take it away, John. Yeah, so uh, we started the sermon with Carrie giving a background of how the Hebrews went from Joseph to being enslaved. Um, and then we started with the kind of the focus verse, which was Exodus 3, 7 through 12, which is Moses talking with the burning bush or talking to God with the burning bush. Uh, and and that, at that point, God tells Moses to go set the Israelites free and how this kind of tells us several things. Uh, first of which being that God hears our cries. He sees our troubles, knows what they are and, and will help. Um, and it's kind of a or this is the central story to the Jewish faith uh, because of God's salvation of his people. It's a, it's a huge one in the Christian faith as well. It also tells us that God wants to use us to, to do his work. He t- said, Moses, go. Um, Moses' hesitation is totally understandable. I mean, it's kind of a scary thing to do, but he was the perfect person to do it based on his background. In similar fashion, all of us are the perfect person to, to, to do our part uh, because of our backgrounds. Uh, finally, uh, she pointed out that... <laughs> Good try, John. I know it's a lot of, to fit in a 60-second summary. Uh, Tyler, let's see what you can do. Okay, so like he said, it was uh, we started the book of Exodus with chapter 4. It's the story of Moses uh, and the, the Hebrew people. Uh, it, she mentioned that when we walk through times of struggle, God hears our cries. Um, like John said, this was the foundation for the Jewish faith. Um, Carrie said that, the, that God shows up in our struggles, but he doesn't work alone. He works in partnership through us. Um, and then she asked the question, why would God use us? Are we even worthy? And she points out that not only is Moses worthy, but he is like the ideal candidate given his uh, his background and how he grew up. Um, everyone has experiences uh, like Moses did that prepare them for what God will use them for. Uh, then she talked about the ten plagues, um, and basically it means that deliverance was not easy. Uh, she talked about how there is deliverance needed today in places where Christians are being persecuted. And then at the very end of the service, she sang. Good try, Tyler. I know it's a lot to fit into a 60-second summary. So uh, we're going to try and break it down a little further. Uh, So let's start with some background on Moses. Uh, I know uh, it's a story that some people may be familiar with. I I know Carrie mentioned uh, some references to some uh, actors or uh, maybe just uh, stories written by certain people. Uh, So I, I wanted to see what... Uh, references y'all were aware of that people may be may know of in society uh, outside of just reading it in the Bible. Well, I mean, I think obviously the the most popular ones probably the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner and whatnot. Fully disagree. Fully disagree. Oh, oh, no. I don't know what you're talking it's, about. Oh. It's got to be Prince of Egypt, right? S- second that, yes. Yeah. Oh, 
feet. You're you're talking about a movie where old, the, old man talking yeah, here. Both both of the stars of that movie are like long since dead. But <laughs> Prince of Egypt is like a timeless, yeah, timeless cartoon classic. 1998. That's <laughs> I do not know any of these, so I'll just You've take never your word for it. Watched Prince of Egypt. Maybe well, we know what we're doing after we get done yeah, recording this podcast. Yeah. Patrick <laughs> is going to watch the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> All right, I, I'll get back to you guys on that one. <clears throat> All right, so then can someone maybe give a little bit longer summary of Moses's background and why he would, where he ended up becoming a good candidate for all of this? It's a little hard to do in 60 seconds, so maybe give a little bit more context on who Moses was and why he mattered. So Moses' background, so this is after Joseph has died and passed away. The people who are in charge of Egypt have forgotten about him. He, he, the Hebrew people don't have the same connection to the Pharaoh that they did before. And Pharaoh has looked and starts to recognize, hey, you know, these uh, Israelites or Hebrew people are starting to, you know, multiply. There's, there's going to be more of them than there are us soon. And that, driven by fear, he decides that he's going to order all the male children of the Hebrews uh, to be thrown into the Nile. Well, th- this is after he had dis- first decided to en- enslave them. Right, that, and that a- didn't work. <laughs> yeah, so he enslaved them. That, that wasn't enough. It worked, just not as population control. Correct. They were definitely enslaved. They're, yes, they were definitely enslaved. Um, so he's enslaved them, and then he decides they're still growing. Um, so we're going to have them throw their first their children into the, or their male children into the Nile. And so Moses' mom, I forget her name. Does anybody remember? Uh, y- y- Yoshebel, maybe. Sure. I, b- because Charlton Heston said it in uh, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I thought it ended with a K, maybe like Yosha Beck or something like so, that. Something like One that. One of those. So she has a son, Moses, and keeps him at the house and keeps him hidden until he gets to the point where he's kind of, you know, getting older, making more noise, crawling around. And so she's like, I can't, I can't hide him anymore. So she g- puts him into a basket um, and puts him into the Nile River and he, you know, lets him float down the river. His older sister... Miriam then follows him in the basket until he's found by Pharaoh's, uh, I believe it's his daughter, it's his daughter yeah. who finds who finds Moses, and she raises him as her own. Therefore, he is raised as a prince of Egypt, like the most awesome movie ever mm-hmm. title. So he's raised in the Pharaoh's court. He's raised as part of their family, as an Egyptian. He's, you know, the brother of Ramses. He, he is fully immersed in and the Egyptian lifestyle. Side, side note, not that it really plays too much into the, the, the biblical aspect of it, but I think it is somewhat debatable about brother of Ramses and how much Ramses actually played into this. I think that's a popular culture. In the movie, he's brothers. But, but in the movie, yes, of course. I was going to say, I don't actually know who is Ramses or why does he matter. R- Ramses is future pharaoh, very famous pharaoh from, from ancient okay. Egypt. Right. So... Anyway, so he grows up in that um, lifestyle. He understands the the way Egyptian um, hierarchy works and things like that. So that's why he would be the perfect candidate for somebody to go and speak to the Pharaoh on behalf of the Hebrew people because he would know, he would be known by Pharaoh and he would know the culture and the uh, way to communicate, you know, the subtleties. He's also literate, which is very important later in, I don't know if it's chapter 4 or chapter 5, but the fact that he's literate is very important given that the rest of the Israelites are all slaves who cannot read or write. 
So when he goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, none of the other ones know what it says except for Moses. So it's important that he was raised in the house of the Pharaoh. Otherwise, nobody would know what the Ten Commandments say. I've never once thought of that aspect of it. That's that's interesting. But it's a good point. Does that mean that the Ten Commandments were written in hieroglyph? Because he would be literate in Egyptian, unless Egyptians were also literate in Hebrew. I mean, if you're in the Pharaoh's house, it's reasonable to think that you would have a lot of education and potentially could have multiple languages. I'm sure that there were some Hebrews that knew how to read and write Hebrew, but not, I mean, Probably I, not the I imagine it was like Middle Ages Catholic people who were like, oh, we have no idea what this Latin means. <laughs> I think we skipped a few steps, though, right? Because Moses raised by the Pharaoh, yay, lucky him, couldn't have gotten much more lucky. Right. Then he got mad at someone and killed them. Yeah, so yeah. at some point, Moses learns or knows that he's not, like Pharaoh's daughter's baby. He's not he's not even Egyptian. He's he not finds Egyptian. out he's not Egyptian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He and probably, he looks probably a, looked a little different, so I would have thought he that probably would have been looked obvious. in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. And so he sees like an Egyptian taskmaster beaten up on on a Hebrew. Uh or you know, one of the slaves, one of the Israelite slaves. And he gets uh upset and ends up killing him, burying him in the sand, and then freaks out. Uh, like, well, you know, holy cow, I just killed a guy. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to go over well, and he runs away. I mean, that's a pretty reasonable reaction. Didn't he get called out, too, before he ran away? That didn't Somebody, yeah. Somebody yeah. recognized him. Yeah, an Israelite saw him kill the guy, and then later on said, what are you going to do, kill me, too? And he's like, oh, crap, somebody saw what I did. That's, yeah. that's the two options when there's a witness to a murder, right? You can go on a serial killing spree and get rid of the witnesses, or you can yep. run. And Moses ran, and he ran, which is you know probably better the better, decision. probably the, the right option. Always, yeah. the, always a better option. Ends up in a place called Midian. Um, gets taken in by a family a guy named Jethro. He, he's very lucky at getting taken in. He is. He really is. Um, ends up marrying Jethro's daughter, a girl it's like named it was Zipporah. Part of a plan, right? Right. <sighs> Amazing how that works, oh. isn't it? Who knew? And then, by all accounts, he's he's pretty happy as you know taking care of the sheep and being married to Jethro's daughter and just this kind of, you know, minding his own business. And then um, he gets, he gets called by God in a very special way. Yeah. So at some point Moses is, you know, minding his own business, tending the sheep, and this bush catches fire. <laughs> but it doesn't burn up. And the bush starts talking to him. And come to find out, hey, that's God talking to him. And that's really where the, the story really picks up. I feel like that's another one of those where it sounds really cool reading the story. But if you think about it and it was you, you'd be like, I need to see a doctor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jethro made the wine a little strong this time. Or he spiked it with something. That yeah. too. So, I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of wild and it, mushrooms. But it is funny too because we didn't talk about it, and they didn't talk about it in the sermon either. That what's what's one of the first things that Moses tries to do? He tries to bargain with God, like from the from the get go. He's like, "No, you got the wrong you got the wrong dude." It's like, "Yes, I definitely can make a burning bush that's not being consumed by fire." And I got the wrong part. I called the wrong number. Yeah, that was totally my bad. Does he mention Aaron at that point, or is that later on when? 
Yeah, no, that that's it. That's his first bargaining chip. Is okay, so we haven't mentioned Aaron yet. Aaron is his biological brother, correct? Who also managed to survive, survive somehow the, the killing of the Egyptian babies. Well, he, he was old enough. Older, yeah, oh, okay. he was older. And <clears throat> yeah, and so he's bargaining with God. Says God, you know, I can't speak well. I don't know if it was a speech impediment or lisp or just a. I don't want to do this. I'm going to make something. <laughs> I'm up. real not good at. I talk- really don't. I'm not good at talking. And words God says, hard. Words hard. Um, and and God says, oh, okay, that's cool. Your brother can talk pretty well. So, uh, hey, we'll, we'll get Aaron involved. Which does make me wonder, was that the first time that he'd heard of Aaron? Whenever God told him, hey, your brother Aaron is really good at talking? I, surely not. That's really interesting because he did get I separated mean, at a presumably I mean, pretty young age. He right. was an infant, and Aaron was probably just above the cutoff line. Right. So he probably he was a slave, right? Aaron was a slave. Yes. So they were raised on complete opposite ends of town, so right. to speak. So so if you look in Exodus chapter two, uh, Moses' biological mother takes uh, takes care of him for a while, and then quote. Uh, Later, when he was older, the child's mother brought him back to the princess who adopted him as her son and named him Moses. So Moses did spend some time with his biological family growing up. Okay. He may not have known that they were his family, but... It's also possible later he found out, Yeah. hey, those people, yeah, that's actually your mom and brother. And maybe that's what led to him being a little bit more passionate about seeing one of his one of his people being abused. Right. So okay, so we've got Moses, baby who should have been dead, so hit the lottery and got raised with the Pharaoh, mm-hmm. then messed up and killed somebody, then ran away, and sort of hit the lottery again and found some good people to live with, had a yep. good life, and then out in uh, wilderness somewhere somehow finds this bush that's burning and turns out it's God telling him I need you to do some stuff. Right. I need you to go back where you're a murderer. Wanted man. Wanted yep. man. And you, on top of being a wanted man for having murdered an Egyptian, I'm going to need you to tell them that they're going to need to let all their slaves go uh, because a God they don't believe in has told you to tell them that. That'll go over no problem. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. So then... Then what happens from there? He eventually agrees mm-hmm. after trying to get out of it and yep. saying, no, I'm not the right person for the job. Eventually says, okay, fine, I'll do it. And then what happens? So, so he goes back and uh, he says, hey, Pharaoh, uh, let my people go. And uh, Pharaoh says, okay, cool, go. They made a whole song about it. Oh, but, but that's, that's not quite how it went. So, so Pharaoh said no. Um, random guy comes into my court, or random guy, I guess former... Somebody he knew. Somebody that yeah, I know. somebody that I know, but one guy comes into the court and says, let this big, you know, population of free labor go. Nah, I'm good. And uh, and then... I and mean, then, if you're Pharaoh, yeah, you're not like, going to want to give up all of that uh, manpower. Right. Yeah, like, hey, Moses, how about... Um, you're also giving the Pharaoh orders, which yeah. is not... And again, because he was brought up in the Egyptian court, he understands that he's being told by God to go give an order to the Pharaoh who is seen as almost a deity 
at yeah, this point. And, and if you say, hey, Pharaoh, God sent me, his response would be, which one? Yeah. Yeah. But, and then Pharaoh sardonically remarked, what are you going to do, turn the Nile River into blood? And he did. Yeah, then, then he totally did that. So, Spoilers. <laughs> well, we're, we're there. We're getting there. We're there. Um, so it, it does bring a, a point to m- mind for me that I realized, for people who don't know the context, want to explain what a pharaoh is or what the why that's relevant here? King of Egypt, I guess, would be the easiest yeah. way to put it in today's terms. I think that's probably the easiest example yeah. or explanation. All right, so king of Egypt, pharaoh goes, ha, no, I'm not getting rid of my slaves. Right. I'm not freeing my slaves. Uh, where do we go from there? So at that point, a, uh, you know, Moses, like, like Tyler mentioned, um, Moses, you know, to, to, to warm up, uh, starts, starts by turning the Nile. Well, I think actually the, the first thing he did was, was the first. snakes, right? Yeah. yeah. First thing was snake. He turned his staff into a snake and the Egypt, the Egyptian, like, court magician or whatever did something similar at which point moses staff snake ate Eight. the, <laughs> the court magician snakes but that wasn't the first plague that was just the first no miracle. sign yeah. yeah that was a all right this is let's 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 get things started and then the first actual plague i think was turning the nile into blood into blood and uh pharaoh still said nah not buying it and uh, i wish i knew all 10 right offhand but I can let's let's go around the circle and see if we can name them until somebody forgets one. Okay. I, I already said Nile River into blood. Uh, locusts. Frogs. Don't know. Oh, boils. Oh, that was the one I was going to use. Uh, ha- uh, 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 like hailstones of fire or something. First sun. Ah, cop out. Yeah. <laughs> That's the last That's one. That's the last one. It's still one. Yeah, I think. Is it is it ten or is it seven? No, it's ten. It's ten. It's ten. I don't remember the other. Oh, gnats. Gnats. Uh, frogs. Here already said frogs. Uh, How many is that? Is that seven or eight? I think we got seven of them. I'm gonna. So uh, while they're looking up the last couple, Tyler, do you want to explain what it is that you guys are listing? So th- these are the the ten plagues of Egypt. This is. Uh, I don't want to say miracles because miracles has like a positive connotation, whereas. This, these are just like signs from God uh, to Pharaoh. Flies. Oh, uh, yeah, flies is another one. Um, these are signs from God that Moses said, go to Pharaoh and ask him to free the slaves. Livestock died. If he died. says no, this is what I'll do next. Oh, and basically Pharaoh just kept saying no, so God just kept introducing another plague, one right after another, until the last plague, which was uh, if you don't put the, the blood of a sacrificed lamb on your doorpost, then your firstborn son will be killed. Brutal. Yeah. Literally. Well, you know, it, it sends a message. Yeah. I mean, it's okay, tired of playing around with, with bugs and animals and, and water tricks and whatnot. We're just going to start killing people. <laughs> I gave you your chance. You said no. So let's, let's drive Not home. Not only the did point. I give you your chance, I gave you the backup, 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 backup chance. Nine chances. Nine yeah. chances. I don't know how many backups I said. It probably wasn't it, enough. No, but, but it was close. We get the point. At which point, Pharaoh, you know, when when his firstborn son is killed, that's that obviously leaves leaves an impression, and Pharaoh says, "Go, I I won't know more of this. Go." Yep. For a little while, <laughs> but then it, the scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, 
and Pharaoh changed his mind. And then we have to like cut like like they do on a TV show to a scene where we're back in the camp of the Israelites. They're at the uh, at the beach, getting ready to cross the Red Sea, mm-hmm. and Moses is standing there with his staff, and God says, "Raise your staff up, and I will part, part the waters." Part the waters. So the waters are parted, and the Israelites start walking across on dry land with water on either side of them, and then. For contemporary references, this is often called the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah. So then, uh, then they they look behind them. There's this giant cloud of dust, and there's chariots and and soldiers chasing them, because Pharaoh had changed his mind in the previous scene, and uh, and so then then they're like, oh no, what do we do? There's like water in one direction and an army in the other direction, and God he like allows the the water to like take out all the chariots right yeah the is- israelites make it through and then he just sweeps away the entire army the egyptian it army says not tries one to follow yeah managed to survive it and then moses put his arms down you got to think that'd be pretty scary you're following these people where the water is just mysteriously split then all of a sudden oh not split anymore yep i mean <laughs> i mean there's not a whole lot to add to it it would that would make me Quake or quiver? I don't know. Well, so other, so more fun facts. So fun fact one, if you go back and do a lot of, you know, exegesis and look at big word means to go back and read in a certain context, uh, you look at the context of the writing. Red Sea is typically mistranslated. It's actually Reed Sea, R E E D instead of R E D, which actually does exist. And it is so. If you look at the Red Sea on a map, the Red Sea to cross the Red Sea by walking across it would take just a ridiculous amount of time to cross. It, it's not something that you would be able to do quickly. The Reed Sea, on the other hand, is significantly smaller. And there is actually, there is a case that you can still see to this day where the sea will actually part there because of the way the winds work. So you, that is something that actually can happen. And so it works pretty well if you are, oh, say, not wearing a ton of suit of armor. It's like walking across kind of like mud, which you can do if you're light. However, if you're in a chariot covered with metal, and it doesn't work real well. And so there's actually, it is a miracle that it happened, but there is also, this can, st- this can still be seen at some points today. Like there are some places that you can go in the Reed Sea and you can see where it's like, okay, it's kind of mushy. You could possibly walk across this. So it could happen now where a person, just as a person, could walk across it. But a chariot or something like that probably wouldn't get make stuck. It. And I think it actually says in the Bible too, like their chariots, the wheels got stuck in the in the mud and they they drowned because they couldn't they couldn't get out, they couldn't move. That's interesting. That is context I never knew. This is a really informative podcast, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> winner, winner. <laughs> All right. So uh, is that where we finish up for uh, chapter four of the story, or do you guys know where this? Uh, where we go to with this story? 
Well, that, I mean, that's that's where the the sermon ended up is, uh, it, you know, the with the Israelites leaving or, or you know there at the end of the the ten plagues and uh, with, with the emphasis of you know Moses working with God to to see this this deliverance of his people through. And it's important for future sermons to recognize at this point they're all pretty happy. Um, there's a there's a moving forward for the next forty plus years of this. They're happy. God does something. There are God. They think God should do something, and something doesn't happen. They're unhappy. Then something else. It it, it goes back and forth a lot between they're they're unhappy. God provides. They're unhappy. God provides. They're unhappy. God provides. They're happy. Then they become unhappy right. again. God provides, and so on. Okay, got it. So uh, one thing I did want to circle back to uh, from Tyler's summary, I think, was the word deliverance, and then John just used it again. So can one of y'all explain a little bit more for our listeners what you mean by deliverance? So deliverance is a, is a movie starring Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> um, there's a lot of banjo music, and... Um, no, deliverance. We're just still out on how much banjo music occurred during this this story in the Bible. Uh, deliverance is uh, essentially f- it's like free freedom or freeing of um, being delivered from something bad. Yeah, so they're in a bad situation and they are removed from that bad situation and put into a better situation. That's deliverance. So in this case, it's specific. You're specifically using it to refer to their escape from the right. God Egyptian is persecution. delivering them out of slavery and into. Uh, he, first, he delivers them into the wilderness, but he, you know they take their forty year walk and eventually end up in the land of milk and honey. Um, but the the point that Carrie was making when she used the word deliverance was that it's uh, it's something that is still necessary today there are people who are who are in situations um that that need deliverance but it goes back to what she said at the beginning of the sermon which is that god shows up in the struggles but he's not acting alone and it's important for the people that he calls to act with him to also act because otherwise then the the deliverance doesn't happen such as in this story moses saying i'm not qualified totally copped out then you know, the Red Sea wouldn't have been parted, or nobody would have told the Pharaoh to let his people go, or you know, that, and the like, saves wouldn't have been delivered into freedom. And right. Yeah, and that's, you know, like she said at the beginning, it's like he had to go through such a weirdly specific life to be able to have all the qualifications to be able to do all those things. And there are people that go through weirdly specific things in their lives today that can help them with, like, you know, helping people in sex trafficking or. In uh, in slavery in in countries where it's I mean there's slavery in America it's just illegal you know I mean yeah I mean there's a lot of different problems that we don't even think about day to day but people's unique experiences can make them uniquely qualified to help with those situations yeah I mean we're all everybody sitting here listening to this is here only because of exactly their specific set of circumstances that had le- has led them to this point in life. Yep, and that prepares, which is a weird thing to think about, but that prepares you very uniquely for whatever it is that, that, that you're doing now or, or that you need to do. And God can use that. I mean, Moses was, was very specific in a big way, but, you know, whatever 
your circumstances happen to be, that's prepared you to very uniquely do something that needs to happen. And I don't know what that is uh, for anybody. I don't even know what that is for me most of the time. <laughs> that's tough to figure out. But um, it's important to, to listen for that, right? To, to be at least willing to, to say yes and not just say, God, I don't talk good. And <laughs> but that's probably everyone's first reaction. Oh, to be no like, doubt. Oh, no, not me. <laughs> nope. I, I'm get, not qualified for get this. Get me out of this. So it's uh, a lot easier to say than it is to do in practice. Absolutely. Having, having all those experiences and being able to move forward and execute a plan, it's, it's, a, it's fun to think about. It's a weird amalgamation of, like, the butterfly effect and divine intervention. And I know that those are, that's a lot of big words. Amalgamation is combination. Um, butterfly effect is, like, one little thing changes in the past and it affects everything in the future. And then divine intervention is like God working in the present. I think the butterfly effect, just adding to that, is the idea that one really tiny thing, such as the flap yeah. of a, a wing, could lead mm -hmm. to something big like a tornado or some other massive thing. Right. Just if, the, if the dominoes Moses's can cause a lot more. If basket had hit a reed in the Nile River and he had been redirected ever so slightly, maybe the Pharaoh's daughter doesn't pick him up. Yep. You know, like so many different things had to happen and go right and uh, and, you know, yeah, some of it is like circumstantial, but some of it is divine intervention, which is God's plan at work. So, makes sense. Good points. I had one more thing I wanted to hit on um, before this sermon. I'd never heard that this was the central story, the central Jewish story. Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering if any of y'all had any more context or info on that as to why that's true, or just anything more on that because that was new to me. Well, so th I mean, this was kind of a bottleneck uh, for Jewish history. You know, the enslavement of of an entire nation, right? And you know, without Moses having set them free, who knows what what would have happened? Would they have been set free later? Maybe, I guess, possibly. You know, God would have found some other way to do it. But, but because of of Moses and those around him and, and what happened in this story, uh, the Israelite di Israelites were set free, setting them on the road to eventually get to the the Promised Land, the land of milk and honey, which led to their you know big you know the big name kings like David and Solomon and some of the big big prophets that came later. But this was kind of a, a, a make or break point. Right. That, it was that the start. That. It was the start of them as a Hebrew nation right. at it's, this point. It started uh, all the way back at Father Abraham where right. God said, I will make you the father of a great nation. Correct. This is the coming forth of that great nation. Uh, up to this point, they've never been a nation. They were Up to this point, they were a group of people. They went into Israel with you know Joseph and his brothers. They grew up into, you know, they they kept growing and growing and growing, but they were still never separate from Egypt until this moment when they have now left Egypt. There's no governing body. It is, it's them. And then this is where God starts providing the law and starts, you know, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Um, this is where they start to become their own nation, and that's why it is the central, it is the start of them as a nation. Yeah, all those traditional Jewish customs and and not beliefs, but just customs and traditions really start at this point. Right. I mean, to include some of those seminal uh, traditions like Passover, which is where God passed over those homes that had the, the lamb's blood uh, over the doorway, like Tyler mentioned earlier. So, yeah, it's, it's just, a, just such a crux and a crucial moment in, in Jewish history. I have one last thing before we end, and I, I just want 
anybody that's listening, go back and watch uh, towards the very end of the video on Trinity's website. Carrie does a fantastic uh, American Idol audition. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. There's not like a call-in number or anything, but I would vote for her if it got submitted. Just go go and watch that. It's it's fantastic. All right, you heard it here on what did I just hear? Uh, Moses, American Idol, and other good stuff. <laughs> uh, we'll let Carrie wrap us up with the benediction. Until next time. God is calling. God is calling. And God is working. Do you hear the cries? Do you hear the struggle? God is calling us, Trinity. Be ready to respond for that moment when God starts to trouble it. And the moment that the waters split and lives are changed, people are delivered, people are redeemed, people are saved, people are rescued. How amazing that we get to be part of that. So God is calling. Let's say yes, let's wade in the water, and let's get ready for God to trouble it. Go in peace.